So we are now recording. Um, so I want to just paint a picture before we look at uh, Philippians chapter 4. Um, I want to paint a picture and try to imagine this with me if you can. Um, think about, uh, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe you have a friend that might even fit this description. Um, think about, let, let's just call this person uh, Joe. I don't know. Um, seems like a pretty typical name. No one in here is named Joe, right? Okay, cool. Um, so let's just call this guy Joe. So your, your friend Joe is... Uh, basically, he kind of fills the role of a, a traveling salesman. Um, he goes around and travels around the entire country uh, telling people about this, this product that he has to sell. Um, and it, it kind of is a, is a rough life for, for old Joe because everywhere that he goes, he is pretty much soundly rejected. Um, every, he goes into a city, he finds a, a small select few group of people who want to listen to the message he has to give but then he's immediately rejected and almost run out of town. In fact, several times he is, uh, he's actually beaten. He's actually like beaten because the people hate this product that he's selling this much. I don't really know what in this analogy, what this product is, uh, but we're, uh, we're going to get there. Um, so he goes through all this suffering. Uh, one time he's even beaten to the point of death. Like the, the people that are traveling there with him think that he has been left for dead. And no matter where he goes, um, he is always met with some kind of danger some kind of hardship, some kind of, uh, of physical lack. Um, and he's got, a, he's got a pretty hard life, but he keeps on doing this uh, regardless. Um, and so, you know, maybe you're talking to your, your friend Joe and you're saying, you know, hey, buddy, like, you know, I've got this other job opportunity for you. This would be a lot much of a, a more uh, safe way of, of making a living. Um, this would be something that wouldn't involve you, you know, getting beaten to the point of death all the time. And your friend Joe just says, you know what, I'm content. I'm content with what I'm doing right now. I don't know about you, but when I, when I hear, if I were to hear someone say something like that, I would be like, are you kidding me? Like, this doesn't make any sense at all. You're, you're in a line of work, and really you're living a life right now that's full of so much hardship, full of so much uh, difficulty and uh, discomfort, and, um, and for something that I'm not even really convinced is completely worth it. I think that you can, it's, it's probably pretty clear to see, I'm not describing an actual person named Joe here. The person I'm describing here is the Apostle Paul. Um, and this picture that I just painted is actually the picture that Paul paints for us in the book of 2 Corinthians uh, in chapter 11. He details in, in great depth the sufferings that he went through, um, talking about the number of times that he was beaten by the Jews, the number of times that he was on, in, in dangers on the road or at sea. Um, Paul actually says that he was shipwrecked three times. I don't know how Paul got in so many shipwrecks, but um, he was shipwrecked three times. Nothing about the life that Paul lived was one that would have made any of us be able to say that we were content. But that's what I think is so amazing about the attitude that Paul demonstrates. And what I want us to look at this morning is that despite the the life of severe hardship that he lived, um, and that he chose to live for the sake of the gospel, um, despite that life that he chose to live, Paul could still say, that he was content at the end of the day. Um, look at look at Philippians chapter four with me. I want to I want to read uh, verses uh, verses eleven through thirteen for us. <clears throat> Actually, I'm going to start in verse ten. Paul says to the Philippian brethren here, um, and this would have actually been several years after the writing in Second Corinthians. So even more sufferings have happened up to this point. Um, Paul says, "I have great joy in the Lord." Because now at last you've expressed again your concern for me. Now I know you were concerned for me before, but had no opportunity to, to do anything. 
I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in any circumstance. I've experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, whether I have plenty or nothing, I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. I think, I think that this attitude that Paul displays here is just simply uh, amazing. Um, and I think it's really one that we should try to imitate as we think about, um, as we think about our lives today. You know, I don't think that, at least, I hope not, I don't, I don't think anyone in this room can, can say that they uh, are going through the same amount of suffering that Paul is. Um, you know, he's been through so many hardships. He's, at the time of this, this, uh, this letter to the Philippians, he's literally in prison in Rome. Um, and so I don't know if any of us can exactly relate to the life circumstances that Paul is going through here. But I do think that we can relate to the attitude that Paul has here. Um, because what, what Paul is, is basically saying here is that he is changing their perspective on what contentment looks like. Um, and I want us to get more into that in just a moment. Um, but just to give us a roadmap for what we're going to, to look at today. Um, first off, I'm, I want us to define contentment. I want us to define contentment, uh, first of all, the way that the world views contentment, but then also the way that we are supposed to view contentment as Christians today. And really the way that Paul defines it for us here in Philippians. Um, second of all, I want us to look at what does living a content life look like for a Christian? What does this look like practically for us? And what are some specific things and attitudes that we need to uh, change within ourselves to help with this idea of living a content life? And then thirdly, I want us to look at a couple of things, uh, a couple of ways that we can cultivate a content life. Um, specific questions we need to ask ourselves um, in order to, to really uh, figure out if we are living a content life or not. And then finally, I want us to look at the end goal of, of contentment. Really, what is, what is actually being accomplished when we live a life that is content, imitating uh, what we see here from our brother Paul? Um, before we get started today, I want to lead us in a word of prayer um, before we get into uh, our, our, uh, our lesson today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for uh, the time that we have to gather together today to read your word, to sing songs to you, and to pray to you. Father, I pray that our worship today is acceptable in your sight, and that um, not only that we will be uh, benefited from it, but that you will be glorified by it, Father. Father, I pray that um, in our study this morning that you will help me to say words that are clear and that are easy to understand, and that you will give us all um, ears to hear and hearts to uh, hearts to understand and apply the things that we are that we're looking at this morning Father we're so thankful for Jesus and we pray all this through his holy name. Amen, Amen. So just to begin here, I want us to look at a, a definition of contentment um, Now when you think about contentment from the eyes of the world possibly um, I think that a lot of times you know, you hear, uh, you hear maybe your, your coworkers or your colleagues um, describing contentment in terms of reaching milestones. Um, I'm about to experience a pretty big life milestone myself. I'm graduating in December. Um, yeah. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and um, and that's kind of, you know, the way that you, you, we tend to look at life sometimes is, you know, okay, well, once I graduate college, then I'm going to be happy. Once I, you know, uh, get my first job and get that first paycheck, then I'm going to be content. Well, okay, maybe once I get my first house, then I'm going to be finally happy. Then I'm going to finally have what I've been searching for this entire time. This, the the content, contentment from the eyes of the world really 
does uh, come from reaching these certain statuses or goals or, or you know, dependent on how many possessions you can acquire, how much uh, wealth you can acquire, what your income level is, whatever, whatever it might be for you. And it's different for each one of us. I think a lot of times when I think about contentment, um, I picture like, you know, you're retired and you're sitting on a porch with the sunset and you're like drink, drinking a glass of sweet tea and life is good. Maybe not sweet tea for you, but for me, that's what it is. Um, but life is, life is good and you've, you've accomplished your goals. You've, uh, you know, set yourself up for your future. Everything is good. Some ultimate level of satisfaction has been reached. But I think that Christians should define contentment a little bit differently than this. And I think Paul does uh, Paul does here in, in Philippians. Um, what Paul describes in Philippians chapter 4 is not a contentment that is based on our circumstances, but a contentment that is based on something higher than that. Um, I'll, I'll read again what he says in verses, uh, verses 12 and 13. He says, I've experienced both times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of contentment, whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing. I'm able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. Our contentment is not based on our circumstances or on whether things are, are going good or going bad in our lives. Um, it's not just about the, uh, the sum level of, of money that we can attain in this lifetime. It's something much deeper and really uh, what, much higher than that. Um, we, are, we are attaining to a different source of satisfaction um, than, than what the world is attaining to. I thought it, I thought it was kind of interesting, and I want to make this distinction. When I was, when I was uh, you know, thinking about this lesson, um, the first word that actually came to my mind instead of contentment was satisfaction. Um, because, you know, you think about a lot of times, like, you know, people are just so unsatisfied with their lives. They're just so, um, they, they just lack some sense of satisfaction in their, in their lives sometimes. But really what is, uh, what is interesting about those two words, contentment and satisfaction, is Satisfaction is more of a, uh, I guess, kind of a temporary uh, feeling based on a, a specific occurrence or a specific event. You know, you, you eat a good meal and you are satisfied. You, you know, go to, I don't know, go to a Braves game for me and you are satisfied. I feel like I talk about the Braves in like every one of my sermons, but that's another <laughs> thing. Um, but you go, you go do something fun and you're satisfied. You feel the sense of satisfaction. Contentment is, is a little bit different and deeper than that because contentment is something that is a more, um, it's a more permanent feeling. It's more of a state of being, actually. Um, if, if you think about it in terms of like eating a meal, um, you might be satisfied from eating one meal, but you are content when you have a constant source of good meals in your life. You are, you are content when you have this continual source of, of satisfaction that is, flowing, uh, that is flowing into your life. And so I think that that's what um, is different about Christian contentment versus the contentment that the world seeks. There's a different source of satisfaction. Uh, being content in the world's eyes means that you're seeking a source of satisfaction that is, uh, that is temporary, something that is uh, going to be there for a moment, but then has really no lasting benefit to it. Um, when we live a life of contentment through Christ, that's exactly what our source of satisfaction is, is Christ. Um, and that's not something that changes. That's not something that has these up and downs, these ebbs and flows, um, like we're describing here. Um, it's something that is much deeper and much richer than that. And I think this really results in a radical shift in our focus. Um, when you shift your focus from things that are temporary to things that are of Christ, that changes everything. That changes uh, everything. And I think it applies to uh, how content we are with our lives as well. 
Um, so what, is, what does it really mean to live a content life? What does this look like for a Christian? Um, turn with me over to Matthew chapter 6, if you will. I want to look at just uh, a couple of different things that I think will help us understand what a content life means for a Christian. And the first of those is that living a content life means no longer worrying about the physical. Um, read with me in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read verses uh, 25 through 33. Matthew 6, 25 through 33 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't there more to life than food and more to the body than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? And which one of you, by worrying, can add even one hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothing? Think about how the flowers of the field grow. They do not work or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the wild grass, which is here today and tomorrow is tossed into the fire to heat the oven, won't he clothe you even more, you people of little faith? So then don't worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the unconverted pursue these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But above all, pursue his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I think that this might be the most, uh, the first and most obvious area of our lives that we can often become discontent with. Um, we worry about the physical things of this life so much. We spend so much of our time and effort thinking about um, the things that, that Jesus lists here, the food, the clothing, um, and even beyond those necessities. Um, there are just a lot of very physical, very earthly things that we spend our time thinking of. Um, and, and now I know that some of those things are necessary. I mean, obviously, like, you know, we need to, we need to be uh, providing for ourselves when it comes to food and when it comes to clothing, when it comes to these necessities of life. Um, but I think the question here is, where is our focus? And really, like, what is the thing that dominates our mind the most? Um, is it the, the physical things of this world or is it something higher? Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's also easy to think, um, well, you know, if I just if I just had more then I wouldn't need to worry about those things. If I just, you know, if I was at a certain income level, if I had a certain amount in savings or if I, you know, had this or that security, I wouldn't have to worry about that stuff. And so then I would be good. I'd be good to go. But I think that either way that you fall on that spectrum, you're still guilty of the attitude that Jesus is describing here. It's easy to say, if I had more, I wouldn't worry as much. But then it's also easy to say, well, now that I have so much, I have a responsibility to worry about what I have. So regardless of whether you fall on the lacking or on the having side of earthly possessions, this is something that is a, is a real temptation uh, for all of us. Um, and regardless of, of how much or how little we have, our responsibility is to have the attitude that Jesus talks about in verse 33 here in Matthew chapter 6. He says, above all, above all these physical possessions, above all these um, things of the world that so often just consume our minds, and I am, I'm guilty of this just as much as anyone, above all these things, pursue his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If we're worried about these physical possessions and the things of this earth too much, it's going to cloud our thinking. It's going to take away our focus from the actual things that are really important for us to focus on. Um, and it's really going to create a sense of discontent because um, if you think about the things of the earth too much, those things are things that go away. 
There's no sense of permanence to any of these things that, uh, that Jesus describes here. Um, and I think that, uh, I think our focus has to just remain on God. Our focus has to remain on the kingdom and on, on his righteousness, like Jesus describes here. Um, if you, if you look at uh, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, um, I'll just read that real quick for us here. It says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God, because God has said, I will never leave you, nor, never will I forsake you. If we truly believe what is said there in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, that God will never leave us and will never forsake us, um, I think it's a lot easier to have an attitude of contentment with the things that we have in this world. Um, it's easier. It's a lot easier to not worry about um, about all these things that so often just consume our minds. And so, my challenge to all of us here today, and to my to myself as well, is think about what you worry about. Think about the things in your life that you worry the most about. And you know what? That's going to be different for every one of us here. Um, it's different for me than it is for you. But what do you worry about? What consumes your mind? You know what? What keeps you up at night if, if you, you know, keep up, if you're staying awake at night? Or what do you wake up in the morning thinking about? What is your primary concern? And is that something of God or is that something of this world? Um, and I think if we, if we really drill down and try to answer that question for ourselves, it might help us find some of the sources of discontent that we often feel in our lives. The second thing that I want us to look at here is that living a content life changes what we take pride in. Um, go back to Second Corinthians, actually. I'm going to read uh, from a passage that's actually close to this description that Paul gives of uh, the sufferings that he went through that I, that I talked about earlier. Um, you know, we, we just, we just uh, saw this, this hardship described uh, of Paul's life. But I think he gives us some, some new perspective. Uh, and the, the hardship gives us some new perspective on what Paul boasts in and what he really uh, took pride in. Um, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses uh, 8 through 10 with me. <clears throat> I asked the Lord three times about this, that it would depart from me. Paul's referring to the thorn in the flesh that he uh, was, was suffering from. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So then I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may reside in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with troubles, with persecutions and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. I think that Paul, uh, it's, it's not hard to see here that Paul desperately wanted this thorn in his flesh removed. Um, and honestly, it's probably pretty likely that Paul probably wanted all of these hardships and, and insults and uh, difficulties and persecutions in his life removed. Um, I can't imagine that the description that I gave earlier of the life that Paul lived was one that he was very uh, willing to, to take on um, just because of the, the hard life that it was. But what's, what's incredible here is the attitude that Paul displays. Not only is he willing to go through these weaknesses, willing to go through these, these hardships and these persecutions, but he boasts in those things. He says that those things are what he takes pride in. Those things are what he, uh, what, uh, the power of Christ is going to reside in him through. Um, and that's a, that's a powerful thing. Um, Paul recognizes that through his weakness, because of his weakness, really, the power of Christ was able to be made more perfect. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, think that, uh, I think that this is something that is hard for me to, to really grasp because 
when I see a weakness in my life, that's something that I want to remove. That's something that I want to uh, do all that I can to push out of my life. Um, but what Paul says here is that these weaknesses are something to be taken pride in because it allows the power of Christ to be working. Um, Paul did all these things for the sake of Christ. Paul was able to have this attitude because he was living uh, for the sake of Christ. Um, he took pride first and foremost, not in himself, because he recognized that he was weak and he had problems and he had uh, all these you know, hardships and, and difficulties in his life. So he didn't take pride in himself. He took pride first and foremost in the name of Christ um, and did these things for the sake of Christ. And really any of these hardships or sufferings that he went through in life just paled in comparison to that name, to the sake of Christ. And so my challenge for you here is, is this. What do you take the most pride in in your life? I know for me, um, one of the areas that I take the most pride in is, is school. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm at Georgia Tech right now, and a lot of times that, that goes to my head very quickly. Um, and I think, you know, wow, you know, I'm, I'm a big hotshot engineer from Georgia Tech. Um, if that's what I'm taking my pride in, if that's what I'm viewing as my source of uh, satisfaction and contentment in this life, I'm going to be left wanting in the end. I'm going to be left with a lot of discontent in the end. And so my challenge to all of us is to think about that for yourself. Think about what areas of life do we take pride in? Um, and maybe try to shift our focus from those areas to instead focusing on taking pride in the name of Christ um, and realizing that even in, the, even in the times of our life that we feel weak, that we feel uh, like we are suffering hardship, we can still take pride in the name of Christ because he is constant. He is something that is never going to change or to go away. And finally, I want us to look at um, one more point here about what it means to live a content life as a Christian. And that is that living a content life means that we see Jesus for who he is. Um, turn back over to Philippians, uh, and we're going to look at chapter 3 here, actually. Uh, actually, sorry, chapter... Yeah, chapter 3, sorry. Um, in Philippians chapter 3, I think, I think that there's, um, there's a lot of ways that, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways uh, that the world prescribes that we can do what I'm describing here in terms of living a more content life. Um, there's a lot of kind of, you know, ways of thinking out there that emphasize, all right, think less about the physical, think more about the spiritual, um, you know, change what you take pride in, be humble. There's a lot of religions and ways of thinking that kind of emphasize those kinds of characteristics. But we as Christians are called to an even higher calling um, because this isn't just, you know, uh, okay, you know, remove the physical from the picture and uh, uh, change what we take pride in. It's more than that. We are called to truly come to know Jesus. <clears throat> um, read with me in Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. Philippians 3, 3 through 8 says, For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, Exult in Christ Jesus and do not rely on human credentials. The mind too are significant. If someone thinks he has good reasons to put confidence in human credentials, I have more. I was circumcised in the eighth day from the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I lived according to the law as a Pharisee. In my zeal for God, I persecuted the church. According to the righteousness stipulated in the law, I was blameless. But these assets I've come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, 
Indeed, I regard them as garbage, that I may gain Christ. Paul was already a part of a group of religious people that emphasized uh, the things that I'm talking about here this morning. Um, they emphasized, uh, you know, pursuing spiritual things. They emphasized, um, you know, being humble and, and putting, your, putting your trust and your pride in God to an extent. But what had changed for Paul and what was different for Paul now was that he counted all those things as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Jesus is, Jesus is surpassingly valuable. He is, uh, he's, he's supposed to be precious to us, infinitely better than everything else that this world has to offer. And compared to, compared to Jesus, Paul says that everything else in his life was like garbage. And for a guy like Paul living the life that he was living before uh, he started pursuing Jesus, that's a pretty incredible statement to make. Um, Paul had a pretty good life. He was one of the he was one of the 70 most important men in all of Israel, in his entire country, well-respected by all his people. And Paul says, compared to Jesus, compared to the value of knowing who Jesus is, all those things were considered garbage. All those things were uh, considered nothing to him. And so my question to us here is, is this how we view Jesus? Do we view Jesus with this sense of surpassing worth um, that Paul describes here? Do we view Jesus as being infinitely better than anything else that this world has to offer? Because if we do, that'll change our perspective on all these other things um, that the world has to offer us. Um, if Jesus is better, and if we truly view him and see him that way and live that way, that's going to change our perspective on the things of this world that so often uh, create discontent in our hearts. And so... Um, just a few, I want to I wanna just make a few practical comments here about how to cultivate this, um, this mindset of contentment. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, you hear a sermon like this and you think, okay, you know, that's, that's, a really, um, that's a really good thing to think about. I need to apply that to my life. But how do I do this? How do I actually cultivate a sense of contentment in my own life and in my own heart? I think that the, the number one thing that all of us need to walk away from today thinking is, um, having a sense of self-examination. Um, I think that the, uh, the questions that I, was, that I was asking just a minute ago, these kind of challenge questions that I want us to really uh, you know, drill down into our hearts and think more about, um, I think that it's important to ask ourselves hard questions like that sometimes. Ask ourselves, all right, what is, what is really the thing that I worry the most about? And is that something that I'm placing above Jesus, above the things of the kingdom? I think we need to ask ourselves, what do we take pride in? Um, what are things in our lives that we, uh, that we really hold on to and view as a source of pride or accomplishment? And are those the things of God or are they things that are of this world or things that are passing or things that are, are temporary? And I really think it's important for us to think about um, how we view Jesus. Um, I think that if we, if we change, if we spent more time thinking about Jesus and who Jesus is, and how much he really means to us, I think it would change the way that we live our everyday lives. Um, it would change the way that we, uh, that we view each other. It would change the way that we view uh, those that we interact with on a daily basis. It would change the, the attitude that we so often have of being discontent with our lives. Um, because if we were truly to, to know Jesus to the full extent that Paul describes here, I think that we would have no problem living lives that are content and living lives that are full of uh, contentment and satisfaction. Because 
this is something that um, this is something that Jesus himself had to learn. This is an attitude that he had to learn. And that's the second thing that I want us to, to talk about in terms of cultivating a sense of contentment is not only do we need to examine ourselves, but we also need to understand that there is a process of, uh, of change that has to happen in our hearts. Um, like I described before, the world is very, always very focused on uh, getting what's next. Um, and it, it, there's a very discontent sense when it comes to the, the way that the world uh, works and the, way that the, the attitude that the world has. Um, but that's not the example that we see from our Lord and Savior. Um, turn over to Philippians chapter 2 with me really quickly here. In Philippians 2, uh, Paul again describes um, some more about who Jesus is for us here and the attitude of Jesus that we are supposed to imitate when it comes to pursuing this, this attitude of contentedness. In, verse, in Philippians 2 and verse 5, he says, You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men, and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a result, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Um, I think that the, the humility and the selflessness that we see displayed here by our Lord and Savior Jesus, um, this is the kind of attitude that we need to imitate if we're truly going to live lives um, that are focused on being content. Um, I think that you know, anytime that we focus on ourselves or we focus on our own, uh, our own prideful ambitions or uh, desires, um, it's going to be hard to be content. It's going to be hard to truly live a life that is uh, reflection, a reflection of the attitude that is described here. And I think that the key to that is <clears throat> living a life that is uh, imitating Jesus, uh, first and foremost. Because Jesus had everything. And Jesus had everything perfectly. Jesus had the ultimate uh, amount of contentment and happiness and satisfaction that anyone could ever attain to when he was with the Father in heaven. But Jesus chose to leave that and willingly come to this earth to be with us and to, to do what he had to do to accomplish the salvation, meaning that he was even going to go the complete opposite direction of what is in heaven and die. He was going to become obedient to the point of death. If that's the example that we see from our Lord and Savior, I don't see how we can try to live lives that are anything but an imitation of that, anything but an imitation of this uh, humility and selflessness that we see here from our Lord and Savior. Um, finally, when it comes to, uh, to uh, cultivating contentment, I think it's really important that we are, we are patient with ourselves and patient with others as well. Um, I think that contentment is something that is learned. It's not something that you just flip a switch and walk out of here and you're feeling more content than you were uh, you know, five minutes ago or however long I've been talking now. Um, I think that this is something that has to be learned. It's something that we have to be uh, patient with. Um, it says in, uh, I think it's in Second uh, Timothy chapter 4 or, or somewhere around there that uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. Um, and I think if we keep that as our, as our forefront and our focus, pursuing God and pursuing God with contentment, um, if we put that as the goal in our minds, um, it's going to be easier for us to have 
the patience that we need to have with ourselves and with each other as we try to live lives that are more focused on uh, contentment. So you might be asking yourself now, okay, so um, I understand a little bit more now about what contentment is and how I'm supposed to pursue that in my life. What is actually accomplished through uh, living a life that is full of contentment? Um, I, I think that there's just quickly here, I think that there's two things that are, uh, that are really important to think about when we think about what's accomplished through contentment. First of all, I think that there are some, uh, there are some external um, things that are accomplished through our contentment. We live as a, as a witness to the world. You all, you all know that. Um, as Christians, we are supposed to be a witness to the world of what Jesus has done for us. And I think one of the best ways that we can accomplish that is through living a life that is content. Um, you look around you and you see people that are just not satisfied with their lives. Um, they're always grasping after something or trying to you know, get whatever is, is next. Um, there's not a lot of people that can truly say, that they are content in the way that we have uh, read about this morning. And so I think that this is a really incredible way uh, to live as a witness to the world. Um, and, and, you know, maybe even in times of suffering, um, you know, when, when bad things are happening in our lives, not just when good things are happening, but when bad things are happening, if we are able to express an attitude of contentment to those who are around us, it's going to be a powerful witness for Christ. And people are going to see that and they're going to say, something's different about that person. Because when I have something bad happen in my life, I don't respond that way. He has something that I need, something that, um, that I want. And that thing that, that we have is Christ. We have the source of contentment and satisfaction that the world is lacking, that the world uh, is missing. But I also think there is something amazing being accomplished uh, when we are more content uh, internally as well. Um, I think it's really uh, incredible that God allows us to be discontent. Um, and, and think with me just for a second here uh, as we start to, to wrap up. Um, I think it's incredible that God allows us to have a sense of discontentment. Because, you know, no matter what, no matter how, um, you know, no matter how much contentment we acquire, even through Christ while we're in this world, <clears throat> there's always going to be something lacking. There's always going to be something missing, something that we haven't quite attained to or something that we haven't quite achieved yet. And I think that that is, uh, that is the ultimate source of contentment um, that is not from this world. Um, I have a quote here from C.S. Lewis that I want to read. It says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures can satisfy it, that doesn't prove that the universe is a fraud probably rather that earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. I think that a lot of the, um, a lot of the feelings that we experience of discontent and hardship and suffering in this life are placed in our lives for a reason, to help us remember and to help us understand that this life is not what we're all about. This life is not where we find our ultimate source of contentment and satisfaction. And I think that we've, we've shown through the lesson today that there is, there is much contentment to be had and to be found in Christ. Um, <clears throat> and there's a greater source of contentment than anything that the world has to offer um, when we pursue the things of Christ. But I think that even more than that, we are supposed to understand that there is something greater out there. There is something much more filling than we can ever imagine on, on this earth. Um, something that's not even 
from this world um, and something that is, is stored up for us in heaven, I believe. Um, <clears throat> that's, what, that's what I want. That's the, that's the ultimate satisfaction that I'm seeking for. Um, because I know that, uh, that things are often hard on this earth. Um, there are often things that, uh, that we want so badly to give us a source of contentment and satisfaction, and they just fail us. They fail us so often. Even good things, even things of, uh, of, of, that, are, that are very uh, good blessings sometimes. I think if, if we're truly going to find contentment, that's only going to be found in heaven. And that's got to be what our, what our goal is, is to help each other attain to that higher goal of heaven, attain to that higher goal of where we will find the ultimate satisfaction for what we've been seeking for um, in this life. Um, the first step to finding that, that sense of satisfaction is, uh, is following Christ in the first place. Um, if you haven't uh, followed Christ, if you haven't uh, committed your life to following him, then you don't have the hope that we've talked about this morning. Um, this is kind of a unique lesson because this isn't really geared towards those who aren't in Christ. Um, this sense of contentment is something that can only be found through pursuing Christ and something that can only be found through following him. Um, and so if there's anyone here today that needs uh, help in talking about what it means to follow Christ or what that looks like in your life, um, I hope that you'll come up and talk to me afterwards um, because I want to help you find I want to help you find that sense of satisfaction and contentment that I feel like I've found in my life. And I think a lot of people here would say that they have found as well. Um, so if there's anyone here today that needs uh, help or assistance, we ask that you uh, come forward or talk to us afterwards as we stand and sing. Song number 800, The Great Physician.